I'm your host, Dave Knox, and this is Predicting the Turn, a show that helps business leaders meet their industry's inevitable disruption head on. Welcome to another episode of Predicting the Turn. Today, we sit down with Breezy Griffith, the CEO and founder of Skinny Dip Snacks. Breezy, welcome to the show. Thanks, Dave. Happy to be here. Awesome. Well, you make one of my favorite indulgent snacks that's uh, not a horrible indulgence. So thank you for uh, you know, creating such an awesome business and awesome brand. I want to start with the origin story. What inspired you and your mother to start Skinny Dipped? Yeah, so I'll try to tell you the nutshell version of how Skinny Dipped was born. So the inception of the idea came from when I had been living in New York for a number of years, as you do when you're young. I'm born and raised in Seattle, and that's where my family lives. And um, we had a, a dear friend of ours, a young man who um, was diagnosed with terminal cancer when he was 17. And so during that time, I started to make the trip back from New York to Seattle very often to support my family, including my sister, who was his best friend through that time while they supported him and his family. And he was this incredible kid. He was just, we say, a bright light in our lives um, and very inspirational and at the end of that, he passed away just after his 18th birthday. It made us kind of makes you stop and take a look at your life and think about what is important in this short amount of time that we have on the planet. And for us, it was about finding a way to spend more time together. We have a really close family, but as I mentioned, I've been living on the East Coast for a number of years, and we just wanted to find a way to spend more time together and to do something together. So... My mom and I, um, you know, my mom has inspired this great love for food in our family. It's about community for us. It's about gathering. It's about bringing people together. Everyone says their mom is a good cook, or maybe most people. Um, my mom's an incredible cook. She's a self-taught cook, and she learned to cook out of the desire to want to create delicious but healthy food for our family. And so, you know, for us, it was like, okay, we know we want to do something in food. It's this big part of our life. And we also feel this desire to want to make sure that good food can be accessible to everyone. You know, we've been very lucky to be able to have access to good, healthy food, and not everyone has that. So that was kind of, you know, part of our mission from the beginning. And so we came up with this, you know, my mom and I, we, we spent a long time talking about, you know, how we ate and the way we snacked and what we wished we had. And we realized that one of the things we did all the time was that we'd take a handful of good roasted almonds and a couple pieces of dark chocolate, and we'd eat those together. And we thought to ourselves, there's got to be a better way to do this. There's got to be a way that we can make this into a snack that people want to eat every day and they feel good about, and they feel good about sharing with their friends and their family and their kids. And so we set out to make that snack that we didn't think existed. So our commitment from the beginning was always to use super clean ingredients, to never use any additives, to not use natural flavors, to not use any um, you know preservatives or anything like that. We wanted the true, the truly the cleanest kind of most nutritious product that we can make. So this was, skinny dip was born in my parents' kitchen. We took the time. We essentially had to go and figure out how do you put a thin coat of chocolate on an almond? How can you make this balanced snack that we knew, you know, that we craved essentially? And so we just started dipping nuts. You know, we'd use forks and we'd use, we tasted every kind of chocolate that existed. We tasted every variety of almonds. We didn't even know there were so, so many varieties of almonds. 
And we were trying to achieve this perfect balance between health and indulgence and flavor. We wanted to deliver this amazing eating experience without all of the sugar. And so, you know, I mean, I, I have so many stories that, you know, of how we actually tried to put that thin layer on our almonds. In fact, at one point, I actually got my dad to go to Home Depot and buy a paint sprayer. And we tried to spray the almonds with chocolate in the backyard, just trying to figure out how would we get this thin coat on there. And so eventually, it took us about a year. And we had this prototype that we could make in the kitchen. And it was a thinly coated almond. And instead of using like a shiny, um, a shiny finish like you're used to seeing on like a, a traditional bulk bin chocolate almond, we dusted them in these really innovative finishes. So we used raspberry, we used cocoa, we used espresso. And so we, we ended up with these two very differentiating, differentiating things to our product, which was A, the, the thin layer, and B, the way we finished them. And so we would bag them up and we'd hand them out to friends and family and people raved about them. They loved them. And they said, you guys have to sell these. And I think that was the, you know, that was kind of the, the boost we needed to go, okay, we have something here. We've created a, an absolutely delicious snack. And, and that's when we had two co-founders join us, my oldest, dearest friend, Lizzie, and our friend, my friend, Chrissy from, she flew in from New York and we all moved in with my parents and we set out on our journey to grow skinny dip. I love that. That's a great story. So, you know, you talked about the technology and you know, that's something that people forget a lot in food because you have a recipe and people think that, oh, I know how to cook, I can make something great. But translating that from your kitchen to a production that could go into retailers isn't an easy journey. So how'd you go translate that thing you spent a year trying to get that perfect thing coding to get that to work in a production environment? Yeah, I think we faced like two big challenges there, and which I think actually many early stage entrepreneurs face. And the first was that we didn't even know where to go, right? So I started co calling co-packers and asking them, you know, would they make this product for us? And we, the, our two challenges were, first, they said, you're way too small. Like, we're not going to make any product for you because you're just, you don't have the volume to support us. And then the second thing was, many people told us it's impossible. You can't put a thin coat on, you know, you can't put a thin coat of chocolate on an almond. Otherwise, people would be doing it. And so, you know, we just kind of had to really persevere. And I knew that there was a way to do it. I knew that somehow we could do it. This was not rocket science, you know. And eventually I dug deep into this kind of esoteric chocolate blog online and I found a chocolatier who was writing this blog piece and I was like, this guy is doing what I think we need. And I like stalked him on the internet, found his phone number, called him at nine o'clock at night and I asked him, hey, can you make our product? And he said, yep. And, you know, originally he was, he had a small operation out of his garage and we were able to kind of, scale the product in a quote commercial way we were able to take the product out of the kitchen and apply it in a commercial sense and we had to understand like you know we went down several avenues before we got there you know we went places where we thought we could run them through this machine called an enrober and you know we spent like three days trying to make 20 pounds of chocolate coated nuts and we were like not the solution and so finally when we found this small chocolatier, he was able to kind of 
partner with us to figure out, okay, how, how do we do this? And, and eventually we got there. Now, as we scaled and grew, and I think, again, this is a challenge that many entrepreneurs face, is that at each stage of growth and scaling, you're faced with different challenges. And so even to this day, we're always trying to optimize our, our, our process, you know, for efficiency, to make sure we don't, you know, lose the integrity of the product, which is so important to us. And then I think like the other part that was challenging is that you're just faced with a very chicken in the egg scenario, which is that, you know, people won't make this product for you until you have the volume, but you don't have the volume until you can have the product. And so that's where I think you really have to, you have to sell the, the dream and the idea to, you know, these manufacturers, you have to show them that, you know, while it's small right now, this can be a much greater opportunity if they're willing to partner. So talking a little bit more about that chicken and the egg, talk to us through what was that retail journey? Who gave you the first shot in retail? And then what was that first big, you know, national retailer that really uh, amplified the growth? Yeah. So, I mean, in the early days, right, the four of us would set off, I mean, almost every day and we'd pack nuts up in the car and we'd go and we'd sell them like door to door. I mean, our first sale was the four of us walking into a corner store and we cornered the poor manager and, you know, we asked him if he would buy our nuts and that we had them in the trunk and we took cash and, and, and he took a chance on us. And so over the first year, we really built the business locally in kind of like you know, either mom and pops or like, you know, very small to medium sized chains. And then by the time we'd kind of taken that year to learn and listen to our customers and tweak our product a little bit, you know, we were like, okay, it's time to go out and find some larger national retailers. And our big first break was with Target. We had the opportunity, we got the buyer to give us a meeting. We went in with met with her. I, we walked out of that meeting and I couldn't have told you if it went if it was the best meeting ever or the worst meeting because they're so sneaky about, you know, how they're feeling about the product. And so, you know, we walked away and we just kind of held our breath for the next three months while we waited to hear. And we got a follow-up meeting. We went back and, you know, we were hoping for 500 of these, you know, 500 target stores. That was kind of like our, our, our big hope. And we sat there and the, the buyer, her name was Tanya. And she said to us, Hey, you know, can you guys supply? And I was like, no problem, you know, of course. And she was like, well, I'd like to take you chain wide with all your SKUs. I mean, it was an amazing example too of, you know, a woman believing in us and taking a chance on us. I walked out of that meeting with my mom and it felt like we had summited Everest, you know, like couldn't believe it. And we called our co-founders and it was just this amazing celebratory moment because we didn't go in with a data story or a velocity story, right? We went in with a story about a brand that we built from the ground up and an amazing product that we thought consumers deserved to be able to purchase at Target. And Target continues to be an amazing partner for us. And so we're very, you know, along with other, you know, large retailers, but, you know, that was a, 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 that was a huge break for us and much appreciated. Talent is a big part of predicting the turn. And as we talk about talent, I wanted to mention one of our sponsors, Hunt Club. Imagine the power of the best marketers in the world helping you to find your next marketing leader. That's the power of Hunt Club. Hunt Club is a new category of talent company that powers the network of experts, connectors, and business leaders to help you find the best talent. Let's face it, recruiting hasn't changed with the times. 
Hunt Club is changing the recruiting game by leveraging technology and crowdsource referrals to find you the best people possible for your company. Stop paying job boards that don't work or recruiting firms that recycle the same active candidates. Partner with Hunt Club. So, you know, there's an old uh, saying in business that you're never supposed to get into business with family and friends. And you kind of threw both of those out the window as you talk about your origin story. What was that dynamic like of having a co-founder that happened to be your mother and two other co-founders that were best friends? (laughs) Yeah, we often joke about how we do everything you're not supposed to do in business. But honestly, like, well... So at the beginning, and our two co-founders, Lizzie and Chrissy, were very patient through this process. My mom and I really had to kind of like front load a lot of the hard work to figure out how our dynamic would work. How would we be both mother and daughter and business partners, you know? And we there were some big blow-ups, you know? It took us a lot of work to really figure out what were the things that were important to each other? What were the skill sets that we each brought to the table? And how could we have mutual respect for those things? I compare kind of my mom and I a little bit to this. If you were like careening down a mountain, you know, a mountain road, a twisting mountain road, and I'm the one with my foot on like the accelerator pedal, right? And my mom's got her hand on the emergency brake. And so because of that, that kind of balance, that jet fuel and that wisdom, we've been able to achieve this kind of, you know, incredible synergy. But, you know, it took a lot of work and, you know, and as the companies evolved, our roles have evolved as well. So, you know, I'm the CEO, but my mom and I work very in tandem behind the scenes. People don't always know that, but like we work really hard. Um, You know, I always joke that she's the mastermind of the whole thing. So as the company's evolved, we've taken on, you know, different roles, but equally important. And same goes for Chrissy and Lizzie. But, you know, I think it just took a lot of honest, transparent conversations, and we just had to do the work. So recently, luckily, the conversation has raised around the underfunding of female entrepreneurs and uh, the unique challenges and making sure the funding's there. You guys were early in that journey. What did you go through and what advice do you give to other female founders as they're going through similar situations? Yeah, I mean, I think this is a really serious and real issue that, you know, every female entrepreneur is faced with. There's a lot of work ahead to try to level the playing field. And I think it's not just about the VC funding, but it's also about breaking the model of the quote, you know, the boys club. It's about equal pay. It's about equal opportunity. And there's some alarming facts, like only 2.8% of venture funding goes to women-led businesses. I mean, that just speaks for itself. It's super alarming. I think that often what happens is that there can be, feel like there's a lack of confidence in women leaders. And therefore, I think like as women, we end up having to work immeasurably harder to prove ourselves over and over again. And again, this isn't just in the VC world, but, you know, for us, it was in the manufacturing world too. I mean, there was a point at which we were chasing someone around in a plant, you know, to try to convince him that we could taste this awful taste in the chocolate that was going through the pipes. And, you know, it was in that moment that I thought to myself, if I was a man, this person would be looking me in the eye and having a conversation. But being a woman, sometimes you just don't get taken seriously. For us also, like on equal pay, there was a point at which we looked at everything and we went, oh my goodness, Every 
man makes more money than every woman, ourselves included, in our own company. And we had to take time to do the work in our own company to make sure that, you know, we were really, that we were paying men and women equally. I think, like, when it comes to, you know, what advice, too, I would give to female entrepreneurs. I mean, well, I guess I would first say just entrepreneurs as a whole, I would say, like, stay the course. Being an entrepreneur is about, like, weathering the storms. It's about making it through the lows and celebrating the highs. I've been lucky enough to have my co-founders and, you know, my hat is off to solo entrepreneurs because I think it's probably even more challenging. I think even though also it maybe seems like paradoxical, but like I think your ability to be able to pivot and be flexible as a startup, one of the greatest advantages that you have is our ability to move quickly and be nimble. And then, you know, when it comes to investors and VC funds, my advice is like, do your due diligence on your potential partners just as much as any investor is going to do their due diligence on you and your business. You know, it really is in some ways like getting married, you know? So I think taking the time to make sure that like your potential investors share your vision, share your mission, and, you know, and you're going to feel that way with them two, three, five years down the line. So if you look back, the world of consumer brands are really different today than they were 10 years ago. How have you balanced working with those great early retail partners like Target, but also playing in this world of direct consumer and all that you can do in that world? Yeah. So I think more and more consumers are shopping in a kind of like omni-channel way, right? So We've become accustomed to getting things by walking into, you know, a Target or a Kroger or Safeway Albertsons or Whole Foods, but also being able to go online and, you know, deliver our groceries or buy from, you know, someone's site. And so I think for us, you know, we've always looked at like, okay, how do we make sure that we can reach our consumers in multiple ways, including food service, which has been a huge channel for us. So food service for us has allowed us to reach our consumers also via their workplaces or airports or maybe at a sports stadium. And so I think, you know, for us, retail and food service have kind of been the bread and butter of our business being a CPG food product. One of our biggest challenges with direct-to-consumer is that our product melts because we don't use any wax or stabilizers or paraffin, we always like to say that like our nuts are very sensitive. They melt in the heat. So about six months out of the year, we have to ship refrigerated to our customers. And we worked really hard the last year to make sure that what goes out is green and sustainable. We finally got there. We've actually launching that program in about two weeks. So until then, we've not felt like leveraging that channel has been the best thing for the business and the best thing also for the environment because of the way that it has to get shipped. So we're excited to grow that channel and that, you know, direct to consumer part of our business. Speaking of uh, kind of new initiatives, you've also recently announced announced that you're doing one of your first product extensions going from almonds to cashews. I guess two questions. Why you did you wait so long to go into the next type of nut? And why was this the next one you wanted to go into? Yeah, great question. So we really tried, you know, we really tried to listen to our consumers on what they want, you know, like what they're looking for in skinny dip innovation. And so, you know, we listened and we heard that they wanted like our customers wanted different nuts. And 
cashews really deliver a whole different experience than our almonds. Our almonds are roasted and they're crunchy and the cashews are buttery and sweet. And so we knew that it was just kind of a natural evolution of the brand to start to release, you know, new nuts. There's, we always joke that there's almond people and there's cashew people and there's peanut people and pistachio people. And we want to have something for everyone. So we're really excited to launch that extension. I think the reason that it took us some time is that, you know, we had to kind of build our foundation, right? And then we had to, we had to learn from our customers. Did they want us to innovate other flavors on almonds or did they want us to innovate other nuts? And so it just kind of took us a while to, to go down both roads until we've landed in this place where it was like, hey, other nuts really lend something to a different consumer as well or to mix up how you eat your snacks in the afternoon. You can have almonds and cashews. And we have a ton of really exciting stuff in our innovation pipeline. So we believe that Skinny Dips can be a brand that's multi-platform, that isn't just coated nuts, but that actually can show up and be play in different areas of the store. Nuts are kind of at our, our core and our center because we believe that, you know, nuts are so nutritious and they're delicious. But we have some really exciting things that we're going to be sharing with the world over the next year. Thinking about that, what are some of the trends in the natural food space that you're seeing today that really excites you about opportunity-wise? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the biggest trends is plant-based and plant-based protein. It was something that was, you know, that for us was front and center from the beginning, the ability to get this kind of nutritional protein hit from a nut, um, not necessarily from, you know, a traditional protein source like meat or, or dairy. I also think that you know, the other trend that I'm really excited about is just kind of the rise of fewer, cleaner ingredients and less processed snacks. I think we're seeing more and more of that come out in some of these young CPG companies and, you know, using kind of flavor in lieu of sugar and salt. I think that's a huge one as well. It's how do you deliver the flavor that consumers are used to and expect without delivering that huge hit of sodium or of sugar. And final question I'd love to uh, talk about is, you know, we're in the middle of the first few weeks of COVID and all the ramifications, and we're seeing a lot of emerging brands really struggle. You know, you had Expo West canceled initially. Now a lot of buyers aren't taking meetings uh, because they can't do them in person. What advice are you giving to fellow entrepreneurs of how to get through this, especially as that early phase entrepreneur that might be at that phase of where you and your mom were sitting around the kitchen trying to do that first line of products. Yeah, no, I think it's a, it's a tough time for everyone. And the more we can help each other, the better. I mean, I think that this is where you have to lean on that important skill as an entrepreneur, which is the ability to pivot and be nimble. You know, the landscape has changed so quickly and so drastically. So it's like, how can you pivot to, to try to, look at consumer shopping behaviors and how is that changing? Can you put some focus on your e-commerce, your direct-to-consumer channel while we wait for retailers to be ready to take meetings? You know, I think also just looking at how spending money and just making sure that you have like a really close eye on like where all the spend is going in the meantime. Other than that, I think like just trying to support each other. This is a, a moment I've, you know, I've been able to be part of a lot of these kind of town halls for emerging brands. And I think this is a moment for the community to come together and to help share resources and help, you know, and help each other through this. 
but you know, I would, I would say the same thing, what I said before about being an entrepreneur, which I think is stay the course and know that, you know, this too shall pass and hopefully we all come out the other side stronger and better. Well, I think that's a great point to end. So Breezy, I really appreciate you taking the time to share the story and love what you built with the business. And I can't wait to see what that innovation pipeline looks like as you start telling the world more about it. Thank you, Dave. I appreciate it. I'll make sure you're you're one of the first to get some of the exciting innovation. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thanks so much for listening. If you like the show, hit that rating and make sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And for more resources, head over to predictingtheturn.com.